Today, it's my absolute pleasure to be joined by Kevin Whelan, the founder of Wealth Builders. Kevin has developed a systemized approach to creating true financial freedom. We discuss that and also how to build a lasting legacy you can truly be proud of and much more besides. So the question is this, how do entrepreneurs like us who don't have an endless supply of cash, how do we leverage the best apps, virtual assistants, automation tools and systems to scale our businesses, increase our profits and have more time to do what we love to do each day? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Dr. Steve Day and this is Systemize Your Success. Hi, Kevin. Absolute pleasure to have you on the Systemize Your Success podcast today. Thank you for coming along. Oh, just a pleasure to be um, invited, actually, because I'm so passionate about the whole concept of systemization. And, you know, we talked offline about building things, you know, building reputation, building legacy, building business, building systems. We're all building something or all trying to build something. And the best way to build anything is if you can systemize it. So it has a life way beyond you. And I think what you're doing is outstanding work and glad to be a part of sharing some of our processes ourselves and how we do that with uh, with building wealth. Um, yeah, I'm really excited and looking forward to this. For anyone who hasn't listened to it, I did a, a interview with Christian Rodwell, which is Kevin's business partner, um, a couple of weeks ago, probably be published the same week as this one. And um, in that, we touched on the roadmap, which we'll, which we'll cover in a second, and we'll go back into it in a bit more detail in certain areas. And it really, it was inspiring. It's, it is a, a system for creating financial freedom, and that is a powerful thing in my, my eyes. So let's start with, with the, why you do this. So and I've listened to your story, but for those of them, the listeners that haven't and don't know anything about you or who you are, just give us the sort of the three minute version of your, your history and why you actually ended up doing what you do today. Yes, it's a really good question. And uh, and you you were right just to check whether I was comfortable sharing the story because invariably, you know, stories can, can bring a lump to your throat when you talk about them when they're very genuine. So, you know, look at my face. I'm a wizened old geezer now, but but I wasn't when I started. So it was 19... 19- 85 was when the big catalyst hit me. And I believe everybody needs some form of a catalyst to overcome the inertia of what holds people back in trading time for money. And the catalyst for me was started then um, when I got the news uh, of the tragic death of my father, who had started life you know, working in the shipyards in Newcastle upon time, which is where I'm from. The accent is under and there somewhere and um he'd uh, latterly got very successful in in creating a business um when the naughty all was very big and popular and so he was kind of doing that work and he was an agent and he had workers working for him and contracted to the big oil companies and doing rather well until he wasn't and he died at 46 you know he died on an oil rig he collapsed and died there they couldn't fly him off and he died there Now, while tragedy is not necessarily the instigator of all change, you know, certainly for me, as a young guy, young economist at the time, um, my father and I walked the same, talked the same, looked the same. You know, we were genetic peas in a pod. And while tragic, and everybody will see some kind of tragedy in their life somewhere, I'm sure. I mean, even just recent years have told us that. What it did for me is just made me think that, as I approached the date when I was getting married, which I got married in 89, 
I thought, if I don't live as long as my dad and we definitely are the same person, I can't save enough money to to give a life, a legacy, you know, a, an expectation of security for the wife I was going to marry and the kids I'd planned to have. Now, I've got three grown-up kids now. I'm all in their 20s. I actually one now, just turned 30. So, um, you know, that's been great. But what it prompted me to do, and I think I was fortunate in one point here, which was I had the chance to not to start to trade time for money. So I didn't get caught up in the angst and the tyranny of the routine of it and to then build a life that demanded the ongoing income and the dependency on that income. And so I had a conversation with Sarah and said, look, this is what I want to do. I don't want to be in a job anymore. Uh, Apart from that, I'm unemployable anyway, I've discovered. Uh, Such a control freak, it's untrue. But um, I decided that I had to learn how to build things that I could then own and then I could pass them on, which is really a system. And and that's what I set out to do. And while there was no pathway, there were no mentors, there were no guides, there was nothing, just my own intellect and, and still needing to earn money, of course. And little by little, you know, I learned a process and um, essentially, ultimately, it's through business and creating businesses that have a high degree of recurring income, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about because recurring income is at the heart of wealth. And, um, and I've built IP, my own intellectual property over time, which still remains up for challenge for anybody. Your erudite listener is welcome to challenge, to help me find eight assets in life. I've only found seven, um, and I've applied my laser intellect over the years, and I've, I know you covered those with, with Christian, who so ably demonstrated his knowledge of those seven assets, I have to say. I was so impressed. It's a little system in itself there, isn't there, that uh, you know, Christian, who's a lot younger than me, is so able to demonstrate the use of the intellectual property that I created and has now kind of turned that into a system that now another business of wealth builders can really can be delivered by not me. You know, while I'm still the visionary in the company and the spokesperson in the company, um, I wasn't needed actually. And uh, we launched one of our uh, processes, uh, the launch of the academy just just yesterday, in fact, and uh, he did a sterling job. But uh, anyway, that's the point. Um, Over the course of time, I just managed to focus, and it took me about 15 years. He died at 46, and I vowed to become completely financially independent by 45. Uh, so it took me 15 years um, of kind of learning and earning and then finding and making mistakes and then learning again and, 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 and finding that it's business and assets that are the real skill. And, and now we've honed the process so much we can teach it in five. So, so anybody can follow a holistic, impartial, step-by-step, easy to follow process. Not easy as in it takes six months. It doesn't. It takes about five years. And if you can do that and be financially free forever, if I started at 30 and would have been financially free a decade earlier than I was, that would have been so much more valuable in terms of how I would have lived my life 
the time I would have spent, you know, the things that I would have done. And and so many people now are discovering that pathway and not having to wait till they're in their 60s or unfortunately die and don't see any form of retirement. Um, I'm so pleased that we've we created a process that people can follow and and get to that level of financial independence decades earlier. And uh, I'm very proud yeah, of that. I think it's something, I, mean, I, I think it's a wonderful thing that you've created. And I think it, you know, it's life-changing for so many people. But I actually want to just uh, reflect on some of the things in your story. And I don't know if you know my story at all, but um, my dad also died suddenly, um, not of a heart condition, but not of actually of a heart attack and um, completely undiagnosed, rare condition that we don't really know, understand why even today. And uh, and that's similar to him, to you. Sorry, I am his genetic copy. I walk in a room. I walk in a room with my. Oh, I walk okay. in a room with my wow. older relatives, and they sort of double take <clears throat> and think it's my dad. You know, twenty years ago, and um, and wow. so those same thoughts I had, or very similar thoughts to sugar. You know, what happens if that happens to me? At the time, I'd just not. You know, I was a month away from starting my first family, as in my my son was born a month after. He died. And so okay. those same questions were, well, what happens if that happens to me in, in 15 years' time? You know, will I have had the time to to generate the security for my family? And at the time I was actually working as a doctor. Oh, wow. And um and I exchanged right. my time for money. And within a couple of months I'd quit. And on, 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 That's gone down the route that do, I now, right? now take. So I just wanted to reflect on that to sort of, you know, I really relate to your story. And I think that the why is so important. I know you talk about this a lot. And when people are, I speak to a lot of business owners who are doing whatever they're doing in business, whether it's property or Amazon or whatever. And often the why may not actually drive them. In my case, I actually love what I do. Like I, I genuinely, I found my dream job. I've created my dream job. But sometimes the why doesn't need to be the why you're doing the thing. It needs to be the why you're doing a thing that's not exchanging time for money. So I think that that is a really important um, message or lesson for people to take away to, to know what the why is. Yeah. Well, I think the re I call it now yeah. a catalyst actually, you know, and um, you know, we can, we can go back to basic principles, but you know, if we take Newton's first law, which is an object at rest stays at rest. And I think this is what happens with people in jobs that they're an object at rest, you know, they're moving, but they're not moving. They're just in a vortex. They're in a whirlpool and, and they're not moving at all. They're just they're kind of gradually getting more money, but their expenses go with that. And um, and the big tragedy is the massive change for high income uh, professionals like doctors and dentists and you know people in the medical profession and others, lawyers and others, where they earn significantly well and quite rightly for the intellect and the, you know, and the, and the skill and, and, and all the things they bring to the world. But invariably, when they stop and that it, it does stop, it's, it's a temporary thing, it's never a permanent thing, then their income stream drops massively because the pension that they've relied on, usually one thing they rely on is the stock market. I mean, obviously, with, with certain medical professions, you're getting a government-backed pension, but even that's not necessarily as guaranteed in the future as it was in the past because we happen to pay more to keep society going and um so and, and those people who don't have the backup of a public sector scheme invariably left to the mercy of the stock market so you know there's a tragic consequence so 
So I think the whole point about getting a reason why is a reason to overcome inertia. And this is my first ROI. So I talk about ROIs a lot. As an economist, we often talk about these things. But, return on investment. But reason to overcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I kind of play with the, that theme, and I've got 11 different ROIs now. And um, But reason to overcome inertia is the first. Different one. ROI. Um, different ROI, yeah. And, and another one, just for fun, just as we're getting to know each other, Steve, is you, you, you're never more than one relationship, opportunity, or idea from completely transforming your, your wealth. So I try and be that for other people. I try and give them either inspiration or a bit of knowledge or a distinction or a connection to somebody else because I'm ultimately I'm both a connector and um, a creative individual. So I create and connect, create and connect. And interestingly enough, when you talk about the medical profession, I think about myself with a CAT scan brain to diagnose someone's financial health. So I'm definitely a, a GP of sorts, except, you know, without the formal qualification of that and without swearing a Hippocratic oath, but certainly uh, completely obsessed with the idea of helping people to overcome that inertia and and, and, and to become financially independent, because I know how, how different life is when you have the choice to do everything you yeah. want on your own terms. There's a long answer. Yeah, it's a good answer there, there so go. I'm very happy to listen to it. Um, you mentioned the word obsession there, so you're obsessed with it. And I think that's something that I relate to again. I And also the, the idea of sort of being able to spot for you the CAT scan for the financial problems, whatever. And, and that's what I feel I do with, with businesses and systems and freeing people's time. It's just an interesting um, that, yeah, I, I feel the same way. I'm totally obsessed with it. And my wife will tell you that, you know, um, I'm, a, I'm a total geek and, um, and you know, I've, I've I've learned to actually put my family in a position, you know, first. But actually, as an entrepreneur, that can be quite difficult. We can, we is, you know, we, it's our baby, and and actually putting that first can can sometimes get in the way of other relationships. And um, so, uh, yeah, so obsessed is a great word, I think. And I think most people that are very successful in business are usually a little bit obsessed. So, well, I think uh, we seem like uh, without knowing it, Steve, we yeah, may be kindred like spirits. <laughs> Kevin, you talked about the um, pillars, the uh, seven pillars, seven assets. Sorry, that's seven what I meant assets. To say. Yeah, well, we call them we call them pillars, and and the reason for that is we're trying to give people a, a vision in their mind of creating a wonderfully structured building with a solid foundation, seven sturdy pillars, and a completely watertight roof. That's essentially the logo for wealth builders, or carefully crafted, deliberately designed. And that's what it's about. So the pillars or the things we talk about are assets. And there's a fundamental difference. And I'm sure people have appreciated it through seminal books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and, and, and the various ongoing things from that. The best book I think he's written is Cashflow Quadrants, actually, which I think is a better articulation of what you can do. But but nonetheless, um, but we don't work with that. It's my own IP. Uh, Christian demonstrated that. There are seven and only seven assets that people can use to build wealth. And most people have got some. I mean, they're doing it intuitively. Uh, but they tend to do it just on their home, their pension, and their investments. And the challenge with that for most people is it's all destined for when they're old. You can't really tap into your pension when you're young. You can't really tap in 
your investments when you're young because you're trying to build them. And most people live in a home. They don't generate an income from their home. So, so consequently, the vast majority of people have a double whammy of relying on one source of income and one plan for their wealth. And invariably, they fall short. And 95% of people get into that trap, I'm afraid. What we're trying to do is say, well, you know, there are other assets you can use, such as property, such as business, which is my favorite, such as intellectual property and systems, which would are probably yours, but there's an overlap in all of these things anyway. And then joint ventures and collaborations, becoming a bank really, and, and removing the intermediation from the market to say, hey, banks have made profits for years. Let me act like a bank and I'll use my money like a bank and make decisions like a bank and make profits like a bank. And you can do that by taking money in the things that you think are static, like your pension and your investments and your property, and you just take access to some of the capacity in there and you move it and make it work. Uh, and that's why so many of our clients tap into their equity, tap into their pensions, and certainly the pensions more than anything else, I think, because it's the most overlooked and undervalued asset of all. People just park their pensions until they're old and gray, and it's just really a waste of resources. And more often than not, it's the industry of financial services that's building wealth, not necessarily the individuals themselves. So we kind of are quite keen on pushing back against tradition and trying to get people to be empowered for themselves and get enough knowledge, enough support, feeling of a community and connection so they don't feel isolated and they don't feel like, who do I trust and where do I go to? And that's what we're creating in Wealth Builders, which is a thriving community of like-minded people with a singular focus of becoming financially independent, but enjoying the journey on the way, not just, it's not the money, it's the journey and enjoying that, accumulating wisdom, and then transferring the wisdom onto the next generation. So the money doesn't die, the money perpetuates. Um, so, you know, another part of my thought process is it's, I have a, a, a difference of opinion, I think, fundamentally with traditional financial planning, which is you build your nest egg, you create a legacy, then you distribute the legacy. In other words, you pay it out. I don't think that's wise. I think if you give money, you die like my dad died, didn't leave anything, unfortunately, because didn't leave a will, didn't leave a business plan or a business succession plan, didn't leave life cover to pay off a mortgage, just didn't get round to things. Um, and I think, you know, that's that's part of the challenge as well, just people don't get round to things. But the thing they don't almost never get round to is discussing money with the next generation. So it's almost like uh, mum and dad die, leave money. People obviously grieve for the loss of the, the people in their life. Money gets spent. End of money. I'm not sure that's wise. I think there's a there's a bigger value, which is treating the next generation with respect and using the money you accumulate to give them choices and options, but to give them the wisdom to almost carry on the same thinking, modernize it, bring it up to date with their thinking, but by incorporating them into the plan, they then perpetuate it and therefore the money never gets distributed. It's almost like a perpetual trust fund, a self-replenishing bank account. 
that serves this generation, the one after that, and the one after that, and the one after that. And everybody's part of that process. That's our ambition, and we call it writing a family charter. It's nothing to do with writing a will, although a will is an important thing. It's all about leaving a legacy within people, not leaving a legacy to people. Yeah, I'll just pick up on a couple of things in this. It's really interesting stuff. Apologies, Mike, um, alarm going off in the background. Um, so whether it was by luck or by engineering or whatever, I, I wouldn't like to wouldn't like to say, but the idea of your relatives, elderly relatives, older relatives, sorry, generating wealth in their lives, passing it down, and then it getting squandered or spent or maybe even you know used for genuine purposes, but maybe it's putting your kids in school or putting it into a um, some other you very um, valuable thing in your life, but it's gone. You know, once it's gone, it's gone. And my gone, grandmother, yeah, she she was you know didn't really have any income to speak of. She was a nurse. She retired early. She looked after kids. She lived basically basically on her state pension, and um, then a, a small amount of money for my granddad um, just to sort of make ends meet. She shopped in Oxfam. She ate you know green beans. She grew all her own vegetables. Like total frugal. It's the absolute tea. But she saved every single penny she had to give to her grandkids. And she died when I was relatively young, about 12 or th- uh, that sort of age, about 12. When I came 18, I actually asked my grandfather, could I have early access to what was a small inheritance, well, a modest inheritance, 10,000 pounds or thereabouts. And uh, and we ne- ne- discussed it and he agreed in the end to let it go because I decided to buy an investment property. And that one right. decision in my life who, which came from just a, I'm paying a stupid amount of rent in my student digs. It's an absolute dump. I've checked out how much it would cost to buy it. Yeah. And I was like, we did the math. And I was like, this is a no brainer, you know? And, and it was that one decision yeah. that like, look, I just decided to do that math and come up with this idea. And from then on, I've created a, a, a relatively large portfolio with no other real financial investment, just simply from reinvesting, reinvesting, reinvesting all from that, my grandmother's small inheritance. So yeah. I'm really proud of that because it's something that, that she would have been incredibly yeah. proud of me doing. And so, um, yeah, I just want to share that little story because I totally agree with you. Well, that that, that was, you know, £10,000 yeah. worth of seed capital, but it planted more than the intellectual seed in you. It gave you the, you know, kind of give you the watering can to be able to exactly make it come true. So lots of things overlapping with you and yeah, I, it It's getting a bit yeah, scary. It, it's a very good point. I've not really thought of it like that, but it's so obvious when you say it is the fact that she was so frugal I was never going to squander that money. The fact that she'd worked so hard to save every penny she could, I knew that like I would not do anything but make that money mean something. And that was a gift, the gift that she gave me. Yeah. So, yeah. That's right. And I'm certainly never advising to anybody frugality. Uh, you can't save, you, save your way to wealth. And then that's a different yeah. generation, of course. But, but I, I believe in bringing the children into the debate. And I don't mean force feeding them knowledge and highbrow concepts and economic concepts and all sorts of things like that i just mean gradually starting to let people let children participate in things in the way they do and have fun with them and educate them and uh, so we're creating a program which is not out yet but it will be by the end of the year called wealth builders for teens and it's to allow the parents in our community to become better instructors of financial literacy to the next generation because the Fantastic. schools are not taken care of. Well, that's something I would definitely like to 
learn more about in the future. My son's only five at the moment, but soon, well, I guess we're starting him now, pocket money and earning money and not just getting given things. So we're starting on that. So Yeah, yeah, there's, there'll be some lessons for the younger ones, and uh, um, but we won't get into cover that, that today. Cover that issue. In it, when, when, it, when it's released, yes, and we, can, yeah. we can jump back on again. Um, right. Yeah, and I think that just picking up from, um, carrying on really from, from that story and something you touched on there was about um, being frugal. And it's, it is a generational thing. And um, because if you go back to my grandparents' generation, it was pay down your mortgage. It was, you know, save, put your money in like stocks and shares in your pension. It's all those things that you described, which are sensible in some ways, but they're never going to give you freedom. And my dad was brought up by that, those people, and he had that same mindset. So even though he was all for me investing in property, he he was scared that I kept on reinvesting that money and growing that money by leveraging. And leverage is something you, you talk a lot yeah. about. And for me, that has created my wealth simply by saying, look, the banks will lend me more money because I don't pay the interest. I don't, you know, the the... the rental income pays the interest and then some the bank see it as a safe bet yeah they'll give me more money to go and buy another house because they think well he knows what he's doing and that is how the the, the ability to, to snowball your wealth whereas my dad was always saying when are you going to switch your mortgages to repayment when are you going to stop you know leveraging the property or oh, we need to use the word leverage when are you going to stop borrowing more money so i just wanted to you know bring that up and to see your, your thoughts on this i know this is something well i think it's a balancing act you know so Leverage is a double-edged sword. It cuts both ways. And uh, I'm not for or against it. I'm just saying that in building wealth, you you must employ some form of leverage. So it's logical to talk about financial leverage. But I think people can make mistakes with it because they can they can see it just cuts one way. So, for example, if, um, look, we history is a, uh, an unfortunate habit of repeating itself, and we saw in 2007-8 when people – uh, were maximizing their leverage, so they're borrowing as much as they can, refinancing every six months, squeezing, squeezing, squeezing the pips out of the value of the property. You take a deterioration of value of property and a tightening of lending, then all of a sudden, you know, you've got a double whammy. Your property's worth less and your interest costs have gone up. So what you thought was a predictable income is less predictable. Uh, and of course, if the tenants don't keep paying or they call in or the lenders call in the debt, which they can do, it's their right, you know, things can go wrong and uh, you get negative equity. And uh, so I think it's a balance. Uh, so usually I might have a conversation with someone and say, well, look, let's let's work out what it is you want to achieve financially to be completely financially independent. So they, they might say, well, oh, 10,000 a month. I go, okay, how are you going to achieve that? Well, okay, if I get <clears throat> 10 properties giving me 1,000 a month, I'll get 10,000 pounds. Okay. Net. Okay. So what have you factored in is the interest rate? Okay. 3%. Okay. Why don't you double it and assume it was six? See how that stress test works. And by the way, don't stop at 10. Why don't you keep going? Because then every property over and above 10, you can take the profit from that and start to gradually repay your debt. So you get from 70% to 60 to 50 to 40 to 30. And you can, so in other words, you start to become more watertight once you've got to a certain level rather than assuming you can carry on ad infinitum because things don't ever carry on that way. Yeah. So it's all about balance, really. So, again, to relate back, it's fascinating. So in 2007, I was in a position where I was pretty highly leveraged. I'd done 85 90% mortgages on everything. And I found myself in negative equity on all but one of my properties. Luckily, 
I actually I lived in right. one, but I actually rented out some rooms. So it was it was again, it was a it wasn't a huge financial burden. But so I, I was in a situation where I had properties, couldn't sell them, not really making any money on them because the interest had gone up before they came back down again and then, then obviously they became profitable again. And um and so that's one of the reasons now. So I think this is moves moving seamlessly on to the I think it's something we can touch on if you if you have time, Kevin, um, to talk about business in a little bit more detail because when i then came i as i've mentioned before started working as a doctor in 2007 8 and then uh, a few years later when i left i had the choice do i go back into property or do i do something else and i made after exploring property as a, as an option and it's putting a lot of time and resources into uh, deciding if that was the right thing to do the one deciding factor was if we repeat 2007 which we will, or we has even happened. Then, then, where do I yeah. sit again? Do I sit in a position with no income coming from my properties? I can't sell them to release equity, and I'm forced then to go and do something else. So I made that decision at that moment to say, no, I'm going to actually use all the skills I've learned in my life and build a business on something I I love, and 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 that's we go right back to the beginning of this, yeah. the interview where the why kicked in, and um, and so yeah. building a business for me was. A, one of my lifelong passions, the only thing I've ever really wanted to be. I never wanted to be a spaceman or a racing car driver. I wanted to be a businessman, even before I really knew what that meant. The games I played as a kid were like, obviously Monopoly and things like that, but I would play like Maxi Boss, which is a stock exchange game and and farming and um, okay. the business game and all these games that, that basically, like when I was a six, seven-year-old kid, that's what I actually enjoyed doing. And so for me, it was a lifelong dream. And that's, so I'm so, so happy now that I'm actually on that path to, to, to do this. And so let's use that as a segue into something that um, actually uh, Christian talked or told me about that I really wanted to pick up with you. And that is about something you call, I believe, the three-pronged plug of business. And this is hugely close to my heart with my, what I now do, which is how do you build a business that runs without you? Because ultimately, that's my game. And I want to know what your take on this is and, and why you think it's possible and what are the key factors people should be thinking about. Yeah, okay. So that's a good segue. Um, I would say just to bridge that segue one step further before we get into that question specifically, is the challenge, though, when people make a decision to move from employeeship to something else is if they put all their eggs in one basket again. So it tends to be that over-concentration. So we're always advocating multiple streams of income from multiple pillars of wealth. Now, business is my favorite. The reason why is because the ROI is infinite. There is no restriction. There's no market restriction. There isn't a sort of a rental level or a, an interest rate market. You can, as long as you have the ability to satisfy and solve the problems of other people, there is no limit to the amount of return on your investment you can make. And in fact, you can turn it into a, an infinite return, particularly if you don't need to be in the business. So you can do that. The three-point plug is, is almost like, you know, what, 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 where did I come up with that? Well, I thought about <clears throat> a lot of people get mistaken when they think about business because business is as much as a trap as any other activity because when people pursue their passion, and you just elegantly decide, you know, explained yours, but business owners who do that can get caught in the trap of trading time for money in that very business because they're following their passion. And that can still be temporary because you're still trading time for money. 
and you can't ever get away from it. And almost inevitably, you can't sell it. And like nobody would ever say you've got an ugly baby, people will not tell you you've got an ugly business. It's just the way it is. So, so I thought, well, what, what would be the ingredients of a business that I would invest in as I discovered myself to be an entrepreneur, an unemployable person, therefore, I've got to be an entrepreneur because there's nobody else who hire me. What was that? Well, I came up with three things. Number one, the most important, a business has a high degree of recurring income. Now, I don't mean that selfishly, like you need a business that takes advantage the opposite. If you solve the problem of customers' needs and you do it consistently and you do do it consistently, you continue to focus on adding value, you obsess about adding value, the more value you deliver, the longer they'll stay. And therefore, it's good for them to get recurring value and it's good for you to get a recurring income. Now, the recurring income then gives you the ability to allow some of the other points of the power socket to work. The second one is to operate within a very clearly defined niche so that you can create unique points of differentiation. You can become outstanding in your field. You don't want to be just, you know, um, also ran. You don't want to be mediocre. You don't want to be just doing what other people do, but create a niche, focus on the niche, deliver an outstanding service to the niche. And ideally, they want value ongoing, 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 and you can deliver ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. Then that gives permission to number three, which I know will resonate with you. The ability for the business to work without you doing the work. So the income and the revenue show up, but you don't need to show up anymore because you've created an elegant system that delivers to the niche, gives them recurring value in that niche, and keeps sharpening yourself in that. And then it gives you freedom to try out different things. You can take a risk because you've got a recurring income business giving you money every month. You can look at another niche and start to see different ways, and you become you come like a specialist, you know, using that GP thing again or that doctor's thing again. You become so good at it, um, and that's I've discovered that I can look at a business and, and look at it from – there are more angles than that, but they're the primary three. If I can talk to a business owner and say, look, let's talk about your business, there's some consequence of this. If you can get a recurring income business proudly sitting in a niche that can work without you, you've got choice. Whereas if you're just delivering service yourself, you don't have that choice. And more often than not, if you think about how businesses are exited, and some people might want to keep the business and just get an ongoing recurring income, nothing wrong with that. Others may want lump sums of capital. So you can sell a business because the primary concern of an acquirer of a business is the predictability of the profit. They don't care what you did, how you built it, what they care about, what is the predictability of the profit? And you go, this is how this little sucker works. It's a great business. Here's the niche we serve. Here's why they keep buying, repeat, repeat, repeat. And this is why I don't need to be there. It will work for you. I don't need to do it. Do you want it? And you'll get a premium price for it in a way that no other business will do because you'll be tied up 
in knots with people saying, but the business depends on you being there, Kevin. So you've got to keep delivering because if you don't deliver, the customers will leave. And if they leave, we need to lock you in for five years. Whereas if the business works without you, they don't need to lock you in at all. And that's why I yeah. think it's really important. I think that's, uh, inc- yeah, as I said, incredibly close to my heart because that's what I, I'm trying to. I'm not, I'm not, I don't try to make myself out to be anything I, I, I'm not. And I haven't quite got there yet. But that is my, has always been my passion. And, and the journey that I've got to the point I'm at, I, I'm in a position where I can help people get on that, start that journey. So, yeah, hugely, hugely important to me. And um, um, there was something else that I was going to ask you, but um, no, it slipped my mind, so we'll move on. <laughs> so, Kevin, I think this has been a, a really nice to speaking to you. Genuinely um, surprised at how um, much we have in common and uh, been really good to connect with you on this. So I'd just like to finish by asking you a couple of signature questions, if I may. First off, give us your top three, two or three apps or browser plugins that you use on a regular basis that you think are great? Mm. So there's um, definitely we in, in the business because I just tune in to, as the visionary in the business, what what's going on. And that's always held um, using Asana. So Asana is the easy tool we use there. There's a great little app actually that I'd recommend, which is um, it's a bit of an odd one, but I really like it because it demonstrates the inefficiency of the stock market really well and blows people away when they understand it. It's called the old mutual attitude to risk. You just you know go online, old mutual attitude to risk and risk discussion. And what it kind of shows you is how impossible it is to manage the stock market because it just shows you that all your IFA is doing is saying your money's going to operate within plus 35 or minus 20 and there's nothing else they can do about it. So good luck. But meanwhile, we're going to charge you a fee. And I'm saying, well, look, if that's all they can do, you can now see that the biggest difference in your performance is your charges. So just cut your charges to the lowest possible you can when you're in the stock market. And that's a great app that uh, demonstrates Fantastic. That. Really, really good advice. Um, yeah, second question. Who else do you think would be a wonderful guest on this podcast? That's a good question. Uh, so who do I resonate with who gives a great account of themselves? I'd say Daniel Priestley would be good. Um, you know, he talks very eloquently about, you know, creating businesses and, and creating uh, keep people of influence or keep person of influence and also how to create assets in your business. I think he's written a book 20, called 24 yep, Assets. Yep. So, and for you, you're right. I'm yeah, just looking at my book. Right there. Yes, you're right. I thought it was 27, but you're right. Yeah, right. Okay. I, but uh, you know, so he's he's definitely um, somebody who's. Yeah. Uh, a no, I agree. Leader. I've read all his books. He's a, a great guy. So yeah, I'm hoping to get him on. Actually, I have pinged him a message because we are friends on Facebook. But um, well, hopefully he'll come, he'll come. Okay. And see. Um, the yeah. title of this podcast is "Systemize Your Success." But what does success mean to you? Well, you know, we um, it's not personal success anymore. But you know, I mentioned earlier on. Um, I suppose when I talked about my father and I'm originally from Newcastle, as I mentioned, so I'm a very mad fan of Newcastle United and the St. James's Park there has a stadium which sits about 50,000 people. So success to me is helping 50,000 people cross the bridge like the River Tyne, a wonderful piece of architecture, artistry and engineering all in one 
and trying to help those people become completely financially independent. And that's the mission we have at Wealth Builders is to help 50,000 people become financially independent before I check out of this game. Brilliant. Okay, very last question. Do you believe you can systemize your success? Well, you know what? When I heard you and Christian talk about Wealth Builders and the step-by-step process we've uh, created together in this new uh, program called the Wealth Builders Academy, um, I realized that all the systems are now in play. He's a very, very able teacher of this now. We've got a whole coaching team. The IP is locked in. Obviously, we're honing it little by little, but it's all there. Honestly, I could be a hologram and just walk away and let them take care of it. And the 50,000 would be happening as a result of their hard work. So absolutely right, we can. A wonderful legacy to be able to be so proud of actually creating. So well done you. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Cool. Thank you very much indeed. Been a pleasure having you. Bye. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me and listening to this episode. I'm well aware there are hundreds of great business podcasts out there and you chose to listen to this one. And for that, I am truly grateful. Hopefully what you heard today took you one step closer to building a successful business so you can share your passion with the world and serve an ever-growing number of people. If you got value out of today's episode, then so will someone else you know. By sharing with others what has helped you along your way, you will grow your influence and be the guy or girl that everybody wants to know. So please hit the share button right now and also remember to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes. It's impossible for me to cover absolutely everything in these podcasts. So please do head over to systemizeyoursuccess.com right now and download the show notes, transcriptions and some of my best frameworks and systems for free. Thanks again for tuning in and being a part of this amazing community. Until next time, this is Dr. Steve Day and you've been listening to Systemize Your Success. Your Success.